Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. This is episode number 379. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Welcome to a brand new Friday or whatever day it happens to be when you're listening to this. If you even know what day of the week it is, maybe it's not the day that you think. What are you talking about? I hear you say, well, let me explain. And before I do, just let me say, I know that we have got very, uh, very important football stuff to discuss on this podcast as the pressing issue of Arsenal facing league leaders, Leicester. I know, get that inside your head. Maybe this all ties in when you hear what I'm going to say now in a, in a few moments' time. It might all start to make some kind of weird cosmic sense. But anyway, we are playing Leicester on Sunday. They're five points ahead of us. We can cut the gap to two points. We know all this. So uh, just bide your time, and we will have lots of Arsenal and Leicester talk, and we'll be talking about Arsenal, and we'll be talking about Leicester, and we'll be talking about the game and the choices and all that kind of stuff. That's still to come. That's, you know, just don't hurry. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But what I was talking about when uh, I said we might not know what day it is, right? I don't know if you've seen the news over the last day or so, but physicists have announced that they've discovered these things called gravitational waves. Now, these were predicted by Albert Einstein, who uh, played three games at left back for the Arsenal Reserves. in uh, In the late 1950s, before deciding that, you know, science and shit was his thing. And I'm no astrophysicist guy. I'm no Scientologist. I'm no star lord. I'm just saying that space to me is fascinating. I find space amazing. I've never been there. I'm not sure I ever want to go. Not unless I have an assurance of complete safety, because lots of bad shit tends to happen to people in space. Sure, you can come across a a nice cantina with a funky band and an elephant-nosed trumpet guy. But for the most part, when you go into space, you're asking for trouble by aliens or things on other planets or, you know, um, wormholes or or like in that movie with Matthew McConaughey, you could travel through space and time and end up behind your own fucking bookcase. Now, after three hours of watching that, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off on a sideline here, right? So space is good. And it's interesting. And, you know, we're very small. And when you look at where we are in the universe and all that kind of stuff, you you feel quite insignificant. But they've discovered gravitational waves, which is basically when two black holes come together. They're like smoosh into each other. And then the waves are ripples in space time. Now, if you can hear the word space time without also hearing the word continuum, you're a better person than I am. Because I grew up on Back to the Future. Marty McFly, he was warned, do not fuck around with the space-time continuum. Because then you might end up marrying your own mom or something. But these space-time ripples, what if they, like, wash over the Earth and fuck with the space-time continuum? And all of a sudden, we think we're in one particular universe or dimension or timeline, and we just get transported into another one. Maybe it's this that has Leicester City at the top of the the Premier League table. We don't know for sure that this isn't because of some ripples in space-time and and all that. It would make much more sense than what's actually happening. And what happens when two black holes come together? Does one of them swallow the other one and one of the black holes ceases to exist? Or do they join forces to become a super-monstrous massive black hole? 
And then don't we all get sucked into like the event horizon or something like that? I mean, it's an amazing, amazing discovery. But what if, what if it actually fucks around with time? That we end up going backwards and forwards and, and we don't know what's happening to us. It just seems linear, but, but of course it doesn't and isn't. Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on Arse Blog. We could end up doing the same things over and over and not have any idea that it's happening. Doomed to repeat the same day because of, because of issues with space ripples. Oh, we'd be talking about Leicester. Oh, we'd be talking about the game and the choices and all that. Because that's still to come. For all we know, it could be going on around us right now. Because space is weird and majestic, and we don't really understand it. That's all I'm saying. I think it's better to, to you know to try and be prepared for these kinds of things. But look, you know, we can come back to space. Space is always going to be there. I don't. I don't think it's going anywhere. Hang on. Now. It's still there, as far as I can see. It's a bit covered by clouds at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it's. Uh, I'm assuming it's still there. You know, what would, what would happen if it wasn't? There's a there's a thing to worry about. Maybe I'm just trying to distract myself from what's coming up on Sunday. It is a a huge game, an important game, one that could define the seasons of of both sides, of both Arsenal and Leicester. From whom you might have seen that Arsenal poached a scout during the week. We talked about it on the Arsecast Extra on Monday. A guy called Ben Rigglesworth, and he's a video scout, so I think what he does is he looks at videos of players and probably statistical videos, and the scouts will say, hey, what about this guy? He looks like he's quite good statistically, so we're going to send someone to watch him, but why don't you watch all these videos of him and and, and figure out what it is that he does? And he'll say, well, he makes 42% of his passes infield, and uh, 38% go forward, and he makes 17% of his passes with with his wrong foot, and when he's turned this way, He's not very good, you know, so all that kind of analysis that goes into it. So it's an interesting appointment uh, and obviously a new role as scouting develops. Statistics Arsenal, as we know, bought a data company, uh, which gives them uh, lists of players which fit certain criteria when they go out to buy somebody. And uh, as James was saying on Monday, there was some suggestion that Mohamed Elneny, he might have uh, been part of that uh, that type of scouting. And of course, Gabriel, there was some suggestion as well that, that his signing was reinforced by the use of statistics in that manner. So it's an interesting appointment. But did you see the story that Gary Lineker, he made a, he made a comment about it. He said, Arsenal, God, they got the wrong scout. Because a lot of people were saying that he was the guy who got Mares and he was the guy who got uh, Kante and he was the guy who scouted, you know, all these guys. And he wasn't. The, the Leicester chief scout, I think a guy called Steve Walsh was involved. And there was another scout who's actually gone to Tottenham who was involved in the Mares signing as well. But Lineker was speaking at like a, a BT thing, and he made a quip, I guess you would call it, in front of journalists, a quip. Ha ha, Arsenal got the wrong scout. Ha ha ha. Then this gets reported. Arsenal got the wrong scout, says Gary Lineker, in the first story of its kind. That emerged, I don't know where, I don't know who did it, I don't know who wrote it, uh, but it was just out there. So Arsenal got the wrong scout. And then, of course, because this is a thing, this is a piece of content that everybody has to have, Arsenal got the wrong scout. The headlines grow, and the headlines grow. Lineker slams Gunners. Lineker taunts Arsenal. Lineker tells Arsenal they got the wrong scout. And I'm looking at this cropping up on all kinds of places. Not just the usual bullshit sites that take every tiny bit of Arsenal content they can and and make a story out of it. And I'll uh, hold my hands up here and say that we did not do that. 
over on Ars Blog News because, you know, who gives a fuck? It was just a little joke and, uh, you know, it wasn't even that funny. So we didn't cover it at all. But all the sites do, and it's on all the bullshit sites and then all the broadsheets take it up. And then it was even, I saw it on the Irish Times. And you're thinking, fucking hell. They're so desperate. They really are so desperate for anything that will generate page views and clicks and hits that there is simply no editorial control anymore. Or the editorial control is, are they doing it? Yep. Okay. Well, then we better do it as well. Imagine someone sitting there go, but actually this is, you know, this is really shit. We shouldn't do it because it's crap and it looks bad if we do it. Yeah, but they're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it. So if they're doing it, we've got to. We don't have any choice these days. We've got to do it. So do it. Make a, make a story about Lineker taunting Arsenal. But he didn't taunt them. He just made a, like an off-the-cuff remark at a press conference. doesn't matter. Make a story. Or your job here as an intern on a job bridge scheme earning £50 a week on top of your dole is over. All right, then. This is why I went to college to study journalism. Lineker taunts Arsenal. Oh, God. It's just so mind-numbing and so bad. It it just really is bad. I know I've spoken about it before, and I mentioned it on the blog this week, that we have this this tool, this internet, that gives us everything. We can watch videos live from space. Space! (laughs) See? I even went into space there for just a moment. We can do anything. We can find out anything. We can get any piece of information that we want. We can learn whatever we want. It's free for the most part. You can learn a new language. You can learn about other cultures. You can learn about poetry and art and history. And the longer we go on, the worse we are at using it. Five things we learned from a football match. 37 times somebody did something to someone that doesn't make any fucking difference whatsoever. Do you ever watch a movie called Idiocracy? by Mike Judge, and I think uh, Luke Wilson is in it. Set in the future, like 500 years or something in the future, and basically people are are just so stupid because this anti-intellectualism has has thrived. People are just dense. That's where we're going. Do you not fear that that's where we're going with this kind of stuff all the time? That the more popular it becomes, the more likely we are to go down that road, that it's no longer going to be seen as a dark, dystopian comedy, but instead a, a, just an uncanny prediction of what the future is going to become. I'm quite worried about it, I have to say. Between this and the space thing, you know, we should make the most of the time that we've got. Maybe ticket prices and football will be the least of our worries in the not-too-distant future. Anyway, look, shall we get on and talk about football? I think we should. I think we should. Yes. Get away from space. And welcome back to the Arsecast. I'm delighted to do so. The presenter of The Breakdown on Arsenal.com uh, and somebody well-placed to talk to us about this weekend's game. It's Adrian Clark. Hi, Adrian. Hello, Andrew. Let's start with what's going to happen this weekend. Uh, and we'll talk about it from an Arsenal point of view maybe in a few minutes' time. But I want to maybe ask you, as somebody who played the game, um, what must this Leicester team be thinking? What, what must these players be thinking finding themselves in this position at this time of the season completely unexpectedly nobody predicted this whatsoever are they 
looking at this in a in a in a different way that we might think they are in the sense that w- will they be feeling pressure i think they'll be feeling excited actually because yeah. this is something that all professional footballers dream about really it's being involved in title races and for the players at leicester they probably readied themselves for another relegation battle so everything to some extent i imagine feels like a bonus and I, I don't buy into the theory that they'll be feeling too much pressure not yet anyway mm. we do still have a third of the season left and that is that is a pretty long time actually when all is said and done I think for the moment they're just riding this wave loving it and <laughs> that they want to to take it as far as they can you get to the last five or six games then when the prize is in sight I wonder then if the reality of the situation might hit home to them. So in a way, it's not a great time for Arsenal to be playing Leicester because (laughs) (laughs) they're full of confidence, having beaten Liverpool and City really handsomely both times. And I don't think the pressure will affect them yet. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was thinking. And it was interesting to see Arsene Wenger refer to to Leicester as favourites for the Premier League title and this as we know is as is what managers do it's part of the mind games um, you know it's not up there with the, the worst of what Ferguson or Mourinho might do but it's just it's just that kind of a thing but it, it's interesting as well in the sense that I think in somebody like uh, maybe if they had a younger manager it might be a little bit different but having somebody like Claudio Ranieri who must as well be kind of pinching himself a little bit that the, he's got this group of players to where they are he's not going to allow them to get too stressed about it because he's going to be telling them the whole time look you're you're doing something amazing just keep doing it no but you, they really do have nothing to lose um, so no and and a really underestimated part of any manager's makeup i think is being a bit of a shrink a bit of a psychologist to the players because it's looking after that group and getting the right message across to them on a daily basis and then in the dressing room before, after, during each match at the weekend. It, the, what a manager says is so, so important to the mood of, of how everybody is feeling. And that is where experience comes in. I think we're seeing it in, in the opposite way, maybe with Gary Neville. He's in a foreign country. He, he doesn't speak the language and, and, and it's all very new to him, the management game. It's going to be hard for him to, to get powerful messages across and to, and to steer the mood of his team. Whereas for Ranieri, even though English isn't his first language, he's seen everything. He's been in the Premier League, um, you know, in the past. Mm. And he's just got so many matches to call upon. I, I, I think it's, um, yeah, I, th- I think he's doing a brilliant job, uh, Ranieri. He is the perfect person on reflection to take over the group from Nigel Pearson. None of us thought he'd do this, of course, but but yeah, he's he's, he's proving his worth. Yeah, I mean, uh, he, he talked about uh, whatever he's doing. He's obviously come into that dressing room and that dynamic, and and they finished last season amazingly well, Leicester. And he sort of said, okay, well, if you're capable of doing that to get yourselves out of that trouble. Well, I'm not going to I'm not going to do too much different. But you know, uh, he talked about giving them he promised them 2 days off a week. Um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Good. And that those kind of things are obviously those players are are responding to. Yeah, and he and he yeah, that that was great because look, I I 
played in a different era where we would get two days off a week. You'd, you'd always get Sunday off, and Wednesday was pretty much set in stone as well. Mm. And he, he's just taken it back to that. He knows what players want, and as long it's like any workplace, isn't it? As you have to trust your players, and if you believe that they're going to live right when they're not coming into training, and that when they are there, they are going to give absolutely everything for the team, for the session, for the match. Then, then there is no harm in having a couple of days off. It, you know, mm. it, it can be helpful. So, so yeah, I just think he's played it beautifully so far this season. And he also said, didn't he, that he didn't want to um, swamp them with too many Italian-style tactics. <laughs> what they wanted, he sensed that they wanted a really simple philosophy, a simple approach to football. He, he when he saw them play, he realised that would work with them, and and it has. They. That it's not rocket science what they do. They are just doing the basics incredibly well. They're doing the basics better than anybody else, and, and that's why they're at the top of the league. Mm, I mean, it was a brave team selection last weekend, wasn't it, to go to Manchester City with that many attacking players? And obviously he looked at it going, well, we're on the crest of a wave. We're playing pretty well. We're attacking. We're scoring goals. And Man City, if, they, if they're weak... You know, they're probably weak at the back. Yeah. Um, and it, it really, really did pay dividends. So he is he is uh, playing to the strengths of his players and, and the strengths of the form that they're in. So based on that, how do Arsenal approach this game? Because we know that Leicester's uh, pass completion and all those kind of statistics are, are really low. They're not a, they're not a possession side. No. They're a counter-attacking side. So uh, they want Arsenal to have the ball. They want Arsenal to come onto them and they want to hit us on the break mm. um, obviously when you're a home side the onus is on you to take control of the game and to try and win it and to put pressure on on the opposition but in some ways then that's playing directly into the hands of of, the, of what's made Leicester so effective so so how does Arsene Wenger find the balance this weekend? I think you well you used the right word there at the end balance it is all about balance balance in your decision making especially with the fullbacks, because the fullbacks are so so integral, aren't they, to the way that Arsenal play, that they're going to have to go forward. Mm. But I would like to see a little bit more caution because if you vacate those channels too much and invite Leicester to, to, to clip passes into the space, Vardy will get on the end of them and, and they'll turn defence into attack really quickly. So I like one fullback to go at a time. So I think three defenders back. The central midfield guys have got to be very, very disciplined as well. I think they've got to almost, to some extent, leave it to the front four to deal with the attacking play. Obviously, Aaron Ramsey's going to want to get involved, get himself involved in that. But, but if Arsenal can keep three defenders back and one or two midfielders, when Leicester break, at least they won't be short-handed. So, so I think that's that's very, very important. And of course, you can't hold a high line against Vardy. That is a, an absolute no-no. Mm. So I'd like to see perhaps the team just drop drop five or ten yards to give themselves a chance. All right. Well, you mentioned midfield and you mentioned defence, and I think that presents Arsene Wenger with some uh, some selection issues for, for Sunday's game. So let's start at the, start at the back. 
since Marta Sacker's sending off against Chelsea, he stuck with Gabriel in the previous in the subsequent two games to that. Uh, he's kept two clean sheets. Well, he's been part of a defence that's kept two clean sheets. And on paper, you would say that maybe having Gabriel's pace in a team against Leicester, talked about Vardy breaking in behind, might be might be the right way to go. How do you see him viewing uh, this particular game, given that the Koscielny Marta Sacker partnership has been successful uh, for such a long time, and, and obviously we, they went to Leicester and, and won five two there. Yeah, it's a big call, I think, for the manager. But I'm sensing that he's leaning towards Gabriel at the moment. I, I just wonder after that red card whether it just he looked at the fixtures and thought, you know what, this isn't the worst time for me to bring Gabriel back into the team because we were we were up against Southampton with Shane Long who. Well, terrorised Mertesacker um, and Koscielny at St Mary's with his speed. Um, you had Bournemouth, Benikafobi, really powerful, quick guy. And then, of course, you got Jamie Vardy on the horizon. So I, and, and he also has mentioned, hasn't he, the manager, that Gabriel is getting better yeah. with the regular games. And that is it's obvious to some extent. Most players would say they need a run, a run of games to, to find their best form. So it just feels to me as if it would be the right call to to stick with Gabriel for this one. With Mertesacker, you just know that Vardy or anyone that's quick will always plonk themselves on him and try and, try and run in behind. Um, and, of course, he scored a goal doing that, didn't he, at the King Power. So, so yeah, it's... Mertesacker has got so many um, pluses to his game and he's still a class defender. I thought, actually, some of his best games have been against the top sides this season. Mm. Uh, Mertesacker, Bayern Munich in particular, you know, Lewandowski, no slouch, but he, he was controlled. So so we can do it with Mertesacker, but I feel, you know, you go with the guy in form and that's probably Gabriel. Mm. What, what about the the experience side of things? Mm. You know, to have somebody like Mertesacker in there, we've, we've seen how beneficial Petr Cech has been, for example, in terms of his presence and uh, the way that he brings some calm and assurance. And, and even if Mertesacker is not the quickest, and he, he's definitely not, it's not as if, speedy attackers are running off him week in week no. out you know and, and much perhaps uh, will depend on what happens in midfield in that regard then so we might we might just uh, come to that in a moment mm. but but the experience that Mertesacker has and that bit of cam at the back m- might also be a factor in his thinking no? It could be yeah it could be and if you play with Mertesacker to play devil's advocate to what I said then you are in, in, in a way forced into holding a, a deep defensive line yeah. which which will help when you've got Gabriel and Koscielny can they resist the temptation to to do their normal thing which is obviously to get tight to centre forwards and to and to press them it's not really their style to sit off and, and mop things up so so I, I do see that I see the experience as a factor um, and Gabriel and Koscielny were wobbly against Burnley I thought yeah. uh, as a partnership so so it's a big decision. I can see pros and cons to both, but but the way I see it, say now, I would I would stay with Gabriel. But if Mertesacker was to start, I I would have confidence in him to do the right thing and to and to know how to sure. combat Leicester's qualities. Yeah, it is a tricky one. It is a you know you can see arguments on on both sides Definitely. of it. I have to say, um, in midfield then. Was the decision to start with Matthew Flamini in the last game against Bournemouth be, partly based on the fact that it was Bournemouth away from home? Coquelin, just coming back from injury, didn't necessarily want to throw him in from the start too soon. 
um, knowing as well that he's got Leicester coming up this weekend, this is surely the time to bring Coquelin back into into the midfield, right? I think so. Yeah, I do. It must be hard for the manager, actually, because he, he was such a an integral part of the team before he got injured. He would never have, have left him out. He was, the, he was the key man in the engine room, wasn't he? So, mm. so to, to, to resist putting him straight back in must have been tough. But, but it was probably the right call. And, and Coquelin did pick up a knock, didn't he, in, in one of the games. I forget which one it was now, but it was, a, it was, it was a, an ankle. He went over on his ankle. He got, didn't he get cleaned out by Kieran Gibbs? It was Kieran Gibbs, yeah. <laughs> and so that might have played a, played a part in it. Maybe he's still carrying something. But, yeah, I, if, it, yeah if I was in charge and providing he is 100% fit, then you would imagine Coquelin would be the guy because in Drinkwater... And in Conte, they've got two guys that, that, that will surge forward and, and they will get involved. And, of course, you need to screen to screen the service into the likes of Vardy and actually screen the service in, into Riyad Mahrez. I think he, mm. he's a guy we, we shouldn't you know underestimate here. I remember in the last game, Santi Cazorla did a brilliant job at getting across to the wings, to, especially on, on Mahrez's side, to just just block him off so that when he wanted to come inside Montreal, he ran into Cazorla. And I think Coquelin can do that job for Arsenal in this game. He needs to shift left, make sure that when Fares cuts inside, he's there. And he's got the legs to do it, hasn't he? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, how much of that would then will fall to, to Aaron Ramsey as well? Because he's going to have to sit if Coquelin is pushing out wide to cut that off. Ramsey's job then will be, when we don't have the ball anyway, is to provide that, that cover in, in the centre of the park and maybe mm. going forward, expanding on it a little bit if Coquelin comes back in. And if the rest of this season goes as well as we hope it might go from an Arsenal point of view, Coquelin and Ramsey have got to, they've got to build a partnership in the same way that Cazorla and, and uh, Coquelin did um, and in a way that perhaps Flamini and, and Ramsey have really struggled to do. Yeah, they have a little bit. Yeah, it hasn't quite clicked, has it, for some reason. I just, I don't know why. It hasn't been awful, but it's but it hasn't it hasn't been as good as, as obviously the Coquelin-Cazorla combination. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think Aaron Ramsey has, has got to show a little bit more discipline, especially in these type of games. Um I thought he was really good against Bournemouth. Not perfect, but he was one of our better players. And um, and he offers so much going forward. But in matches like this, you do suspect you, you need him to, to be sensible. He was, remember, against Man City. Mm. I thought in that match, yeah. the central midfield axis, it was Flamini and Ramsey, wasn't it? I actually thought they held back really well in that for the first hour or so. Uh, and and that I think is the way we should play this one as well. It, he proved that night that he can do it. It's it, but it's tricky. I, I just wonder if there's a. I don't think it will happen, but there is a possibility. Of course, he could start Ramsey on the right and bring and and have Flamini with Cochrane and, and go a bit real steady mm. inside, inside the midfield. I think that would be an unusual step at home, but I wouldn't be massively shocked if it happened. Mm, that's interesting. Um... Let's talk a little bit, before. Uh, just getting off this one then. Alexis Sanchez is back in the side now. He's had some minutes under his belt. And if you remember at the start of the season, he didn't score for eight games. And then at the King Power Stadium, he absolutely burst into life with, with a brilliant hat-trick. Mm. Um, bit much to hope lightning might strike <laughs> twice, but it would be very nice. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just one will do. I'll take that. Um, two, two even better. But... 
yeah, he's a danger man. Look, Leicester will be worried about him, definitely. Also, because even though they've got this, 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 uh, their, their back four is better now. They've got Fuchs, haven't they, at left back? He's come in for Schlup. And at right back, Simpson's replaced Delat. This is all since since we walloped them 5-2. They, they've rejigged it. And the, their back four is now much more solid. Uh, but of the four, I would still say that, that Simpson at right back is probably the weakest link. So I do see Arsenal pumping a lot of service out left to Alexis to, to try and make things happen. And, you know, if, if he gets a lot of the ball gets up ahead of steam you just don't know do you with him no. he's got that capability it's a big game isn't it he loves he loves the big occasion so maybe it is set for set for him and, and maybe Ozil to really uh, stamp their mark on the title race mm. any uh, question about who he's going to select up front for you no I don't think so no Giroud Giroud's not in his sharpest form of the season but but I think he's important to the way Arsenal attack. He, he's still looking after the ball really well. Uh, he just hasn't had that many chances. He, even last weekend, he didn't. He did, perhaps didn't do that much, but but it was his knockdown for for Ozil that that created that really important first goal that broke the the long sequence we'd gone without scoring. Mm. And and Theo Walcott just wouldn't have been able to do that physically. So so I think Giroud. Yeah, I think it's a no brainer that he'll start, especially because Theo hasn't been in his best either lately. Even though Theo was brilliant, wasn't he, at the King Power? He really he gave Leicester such a hard time. Yeah. But he's not he's not in that kind of shape at the minute. So, so yeah, it has to be Giroud for me. All right. Okay. Um, right. Well, look, the other big issue of the week, aside from, from this enormous crucial game for both Arsenal season and Leicester season which makes it even more exciting um, was the the ticket prices issue and Liverpool fans walked out on their team at 77 minutes uh, a 2-0 up and uh, uh, they ended up drawing that game 2-2 and we've seen some uh, response from the Fenway Sports Group who own Liverpool uh, they've dialed back on the plans that they had made to make some of the tickets available at 77 pounds etc etc um, it is uh, it is an ongoing issue isn't it but this little victory perhaps that the Liverpool fans have had it's um, it surely just got to be the start if fans really want to make a difference there's got to be a bit more going on than this I think so yeah no I'm fully supportive of it I, I think that the fan power has, has worked at Liverpool for, on this occasion and it could I suspect work across the board at, at all the clubs I mean I don't think Liverpool are, are isolated in, in, in terms of fan unhappiness at ticket prices. Right across the country, certainly in the Premier League, supporters are fed up of of paying such extortionate prices. And give, as, as we all know, with the, with the investment coming in from TV revenue, I just don't think it's on to to raise prices moving forwards they, they they should because they're so much wealthier now i just think they should be capping the prices or even bringing them down or bringing initiatives in to get younger fans and more families into the ground i'd like to i'd like to see some of that happen because because it yeah it's, a, it's an opportunity now that clubs clubs like arsenal aren't reliant on ticket money they've got a they've got a chance to to shape it and to, to shape their future audiences so yeah i just hope they, they i hope fans don't continue to be priced out it's mm. uh, yeah it's definitely in what has been a brilliant premier league season it's still it's the one little blot isn't it really for me that the ticket prices are still so expensive mm. i mean it, 
I think we'd all like to think the ticket prices would come down. Mm. I, realistically, though, mm. that's that seems very unlikely to happen because with the increased money, and Arsene Wenger made this point last week, he said that when you increase the money coming into the clubs, there's more pressure to spend that money on better players. Uh, better players cost more, wages cost more, and you know soon that it's a vortex of, of spending in a way. Mm. But I think you're right in what you say, that you know even if there's a price freeze across the board, but there are greater initiatives to bring in that next generation of supporters who, who must find it incredibly difficult if you're a young uh, if you're a student, if you're a kid, if your dad wants to bring you to the game and it's costing X amount of money, that's if you can even get a ticket. Yeah. You know, th- they are in a way um, looking at this in a very short term manner and not thinking about the long term effects of what uh, these prices are doing. Yeah, absolutely. The, you look around the Emirates and, and the, the crowd is old, really. Yeah. Not, not, not ancient, but there aren't that many teenagers there. There aren't that many people in their early 20s it's almost as if that that generation write off the fact that they can go to games unless they're very fortunate in terms of their families or friends being able to get them tickets um it's almost as if that generation are having to write off actually going to matches it's like their support has to be from afar until perhaps they're in their 30s and 40s where, they, where they, they've got a better income and then they might be able to to, to afford it. It's, it's and, but th- yeah, does it, doesn't that then affect the way that you view the game, the way that you view football? Because, and I'm not trying to sound in any way snobbish about this, it's a, it's a very different experience being in a stadium watching a game and watching a game on television. I'm not saying, you know, people who watch on television or only watch on television don't know what they're talking about or anything like that. But just in terms of how you experience football... Uh, being in a stadium is just a vital part of it. You can't experience it, it's the magic, is it? It's what it's why most of us sort of fall in love with football. It's that experience of going to the game, feeling the atmosphere, being close to the players. It, it's magical, and and there are so many people that are missing out on that. Not because they don't want to go, but because of prohibitive costs. So, so yeah, I just I, just, I would like to see Arsenal and all clubs. It's not just Arsenal. Um, Look into to ways of, of getting more families into it because it, it is short term and and I feel sorry for, for people that, that would love to go and can't. And what frustrates me, I've got to say, is is that this season there are a lot of empty seats at the games. Like I know that we, we it's become a running joke that the sixty thousand attendance will be a given, but that but a lot of the time that people aren't taking up their seats and you just wonder what's happened there and whether. More could be done to fill those seats and offer them out at, at discount prices to get sure. to get people in. The problem is that the Arsenal season tickets are oversubscribed. So are most clubs. People are willing to pay big money. There are enough people that do have the money to go. It's it is a it's a very difficult issue, but given the amount of money, the extra money that's coming in, it I find it it would be totally unfair mm. clubs not to at least freeze their prices all right well look we'll uh, we'll keep fingers crossed and I, I don't think this is the last we've heard of it from from fans by any means no, more walkouts or more demonstration i think that the fan power will work yeah um, 
so so yeah I think my message not my message but the message is I think that Liverpool from Liverpool is that if, if you kick up a fuss pe- people will listen so. well look I mean we've, we've had evidence of that from an Arsenal point of view as well with the uh, with the Barcelona ticket charge yes. that yeah. you know if enough noise is made they they, they can't ignore it and uh, it has to work across the board though I think what you know what would be great is if people or if football fans I know it's dif- difficult to put uh, aside your rivalries and put aside those kind of things, but if you know they could see that for the greater good, more harmony between football fans on these issues would be for the benefit of everyone. Yeah, I think I think there is harmony between fans of different clubs on this particular issue. And look, clubs these days, big corporate businesses, PR is so important, isn't yeah. it? Image and the image of Liverpool w- was dented by that by that incident and you could almost feel or taste the not the panic on the Fenway Sports Group's part but but they really backed down didn't they in, term, in terms of getting the fans back on side you can't have a split there so, yeah. so look, clubs value the importance of their relationship with the fans they should do anyway and I, I think deep down they really do so yeah look if, if people are unhappy I, I think I think these kind of protests We'll have some weight and hopefully, yeah, people will listen. All right, Adrian, uh, we'll keep fingers crossed for this uh, for this Sunday. Hope we get the right results and, uh, yeah, everything crossed. <laughs> Thanks a million as always. No, no worries at all. Thank you very much indeed to Adrian. You can find him on Twitter at Adrian J. Clark. That's at Adrian J. Clark. And, of course, he presents the breakdown on Arsenal.com. After uh, all of our games, he takes uh, an in-depth look at what went wrong, what went right. And hopefully this Monday, when he does it, or Tuesday, whenever it might be, uh, he's talking about how everything went right for Arsenal uh, against Leicester. Before we talk about that and get some of the team news very briefly... Uh, news yesterday, of course, that Arsenal are going back to the USA. That's right. Arsenal are going to America this summer. They're going to play in the 2016 All-Star Game in San Jose. Yeah. Of course, a great song by Dion Warwick, but uh, amazing. I've just remembered that Frankie Goes to Hollywood did a version on their first album. Seriously. Yeah, amazing. On the first Frankie Goes to Hollywood album with Relax and Welcome to the Pleasure Dome and all that. And they have a cover of that particular song, which is, I guess, weird. But there you go. Anyway, so San Jose, there's a thing, eh? And then uh, two days later, they're going to play in L.A. in the uh, the StubHub Center in L.A. against Chivas to Guadalajara. That's right. Uh, they've got amazing players on that team like Carlos Villanueva, Carlos Peña, Carlos Cisneros, Carlos Salcedo, Carlos Salcedo, and Jose Antonio Rodriguez. Yes, it's going to be fun, though. Arsenal in America, Arsenal in the USA. I was there last time, of course, when Arsenal were in New York in 2014, the summer of 2014. The game itself, I will will say it was up there with one of the worst Arsenal games I've ever seen. But the rest of it was just tremendous fun. It was brilliant. Loads of uh, Arsenal fans from all over America at all the events that were going on uh, down on 14th Street and around New York uh, with the Arsenal NYC guys. uh, Did a lot of work bringing everyone together and it was just brilliant fun. So if you're heading out California way this summer to watch Arsenal, uh, you'll have a good time. I'm absolutely positive of it. Maybe we should try and do something. Wouldn't that be good? Like a 
an Arsecast Extra crossover with uh, the Arsenal America podcast, because Chris is uh, is out in L.A. there. So that'd be good. That'd be good fun, wouldn't it? That'd be like a laugh. I'd enjoy that. All we need is like a sponsor or an airfare and somewhere to stay and beer money and all those things. But hey, I'm just putting it on the record here that if anyone listening would like to sponsor that and take us out there and bring us there and, you know, we'll happily wear T-shirts and merchandise. We will absolutely 100% whore ourselves for money for this one. Uh, You know, feel free to get in touch. But if you are going to go out there, I'd say it's going to be good fun, like really good fun and great for uh, the American fans to see Arsenal over there. So uh, that's this summer, but more pressing is what's happening this Sunday. Arsenal against Leicester in a game that I won't say it will decide the title, but it could go some way to letting us know who's going to win it or who's not going to win it. It's, uh, it's a bit weird. Five points behind Leicester at this moment in time. We can cut that gap to two if we win. If they win, that's eight points. With only 12 games left. It's just, just massive, isn't it? And their form, and we talked about it with Adrian, their form has been fantastic. They've got nothing to lose. They've got no fear. They're playing with freedom. They're playing with, with real spunk, you'd have to say. And, you know, nobody expects them to be in this position, so they can do it with a, with a measure of freedom. I don't think they're going to feel any pressure whatsoever coming to, uh, to our place to play this game. All the pressure is on us. Because this is a game we have to win. Not simply because we're playing the league leaders, but because this is a, a season in which it looks like we have a very good chance of of, uh, of trying to win the title. And unless we win games like this, people are going to ask questions and rightly ask questions about our ability to do that. So we need the big guys, don't we? We need the big players to step up in this game. We need Mesut Ozil. We need Alexis Sanchez. We need Olivier Giroud. We need Aaron Ramsey. We need the guys who can make a difference at the attacking end of the pitch. Uh, to do just that. And we need the defense. We need the back four. We need to be smart. We need to play clever against Mares and Vardy and the way that they counterattack, uh, trying to find the balance, as we spoke about with Adrian, between needing to win the game and trying to win the game and not leaving ourselves exposed. It's going to be it's going to be incredible. Uh, 12 o'clock kickoff Sunday probably will mute the atmosphere to a certain extent, not to mention the fact that there is going to be a protest at the game. Uh, some Leicester fans have decided that they'll enter the stadium five minutes late. I think they'll be joined in solidarity by quite a number of Arsenal fans. Now, the protest, of course, is not at ticket prices, but the fact that Sky moved this uh, moved this fixture with very short notice, meaning that people lost a lot of money on, on trains and hotels and all kinds of things that they had booked well in advance because this wasn't one of the TV games. And, uh, you know, I was one of those people who booked plane tickets and had to rebook. Um, so it, it's going to be very interesting to see how widespread that particular protest is. I think it might be quite widespread. I think people are, you know, having seen what's happened in the last week with Liverpool, having seen what the uh, what the action did when Arsenal fans protested, albeit online only, against the Barcelona surcharge and the effect that that had. There's a mood, isn't there? You can perhaps see that people are going, well, actually, this this might make a difference. This might do something positive, uh, not just for me, but for other football fans. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But look, um, all we can do is hope that the Arsenal that we know is capable of beating this Leicester team, because we did it earlier in the season 5-2, we got to hope that they turn up. We've got to hope that the goals come, and we've got to hope that we can uh, maintain uh, a good, a solid defensive shape and, and, uh, and prevent them the opportunities that they're bound to take, because it's not like they're not scoring, you know? Uh, if we give them chances, they'll take them. Um, so it 
it's up to us to try and deny them uh, those chances and the space to create those chances. Uh, I will see some of you in the usual place after the game, uh, hopefully for a pint or two. That will be good fun. So uh, do come and say hello if you're going to be there. We'll keep everything crossed for the right result on Sunday. James and I will be here on Monday with an Arscast Extra looking back on it all. So until then, have yourselves a great weekend. Cheers. Bye-bye. was Lloyd Cole and the commotions and last weekend. I remember I too had a last weekend when I was in the seminary. Twas in a burlesque house. Oh, where did the time go? As ever at this time of night, we answer some of the emails that you send to us when you're feeling lost and alone and we try and help you. This one comes from, well, he says he wants to remain anonymous so we'll just give his first name and last name and address. So it's John P. McGinley from... No, I'll land him in it there. Anyway, John says, Dear Holy God FM, I feel trapped by my religion. Ever since they started charging ticket prices into church on Sunday, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Of course, I can't change my religion. I don't want to be a Branch Davidian. I also don't want to be a Buddhist. I cannot become a Jew or an Ebionite. Hare Krishnas, I don't like their clothes. I'm not a Hindu. I cannot convert to Islam, nor indeed can I be a Mennonite. I'm not interested in being a Unitarian, a Presbyterian, a Rastafarian or a Druid. So my question is, how can I feel like... I'm not being taken advantage of. Yours, anonymously, John P. McGinley. Well, John, it is a troubling, troubling situation you find yourself in. Having thought about this, all I can say to you is, you're fucked. They have you by the balls. They know it. You know it. And that's just the way it's gonna go. Stay tuned here on Holy God FM for our competition later where you can win a night with a bishop. Now though for you John, hopefully this will cheer you up a little bit. This is Kicking It Old School with Stevie V and Money Talks.